It's the podcast, Pete Forsey. Thanks so much for choosing the show. Uh, hopefully you told your friends. For those that are new, the podcast, that's the name of the show. Pete Forsey, that's me. We drop weekly. Talking all things ball, obviously, today. Super Bowl 57. My instant reactions there. My big picture thoughts on Mahomes and the Eagles. What it means for the direction of each franchise. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and his darkness retreat and why I think the Jets getting a little too narrow with their quarterback decision here. I think they got to maybe take a bird's eye view here and look at what's in front of them with Aaron Rodgers. In addition, with some downtime, I looked at a little C.J. Stroud tape and I must say I'm intrigued with what I see and I'll tell you why. John Mazalak on the Cardinals side of things uh, with baseball, he got extended. The Cardinals keep a good man. I know he's not the favorite among St. Louis, but I'm going to tell you why it was a damn good deal to do. If you're St. Louis, it's episode 110 of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Tom Brady, six. Terry Bradshaw, four. Joe Montana, four. Elway, Roethlisberger, Young, two and three, respectively. It's rarefied air. And I'm missing some guys. Those are just a couple that I scribbled down here on on my notepad as I come to you here on Monday evening, day after the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57. They're they're stacking up here, and soon, whenever I'm dead, there's going to be a lot of Super Bowls that I have to recall. I'm wondering when kind of the uh, the lights will go out in my memory bank because I actually have a very cool, I'm looking at it right now, very cool uh, collage that details... The Super Bowl matchup each year, the Super Bowl logo, the score of the game, and the winner. It's it's really neat. And, you know, I got it all the way up through the Tampa Bay KC Super Bowl that the Bucks took. So now I'm two years outdated. So maybe I'll have to run over to Hobby Lobby and get another one, a good find from Ms. Taylor. But of that group that I mentioned there, rarefied air when you got two Super Bowl championships. Patrick Mahomes... He's got his second. He's played in three. He's already entered Roethlisberger territory. Big Ben played in three, took home two. I know Elway played in five, lost his first three, got his championships in his last two. Um, Brady, obviously, pretty similar career path. I think he actually got it uh, one year later, his first three championships, whereas Mahomes got his at age 27. So he's actually on track in theory to have more Super Bowl championships if he were to play as long as Tom. You know, that's obviously unlikely. We're just talking about a, a very decorative career with TB12. But man, when you talk about guys like Mahomes, Andy Reid, uh, Travis Kelsey now, two-time Super Bowl champion, th- those are legacy-defining words. You look at these these runs with the Seahawks, who they played in two, they got one. Even in my eyes, you can argue that it's a dynasty. Typically, in my mind, it's always been three. You got to appear three times to be a dynasty. That's why I even look at the Buffalo Bills, four straight Super Bowls. Very, very difficult. Almost even more impressive than going uh, three years or uh, three championships in four years. Even if you lose all four like the Bills did, to me, that's a dynastic run. So, you you can have your own interpretation here. I think the Chiefs definitely are in that territory and they're not slowing down. In this game, pretty boring up until this last uh, quarter. Even the second half was was pretty good because they were down by 10 points. But what's the story of this game here? 
this legacy-defining game. The quarterback and the head coach were greater than what the Eagles had. Sirianni, I don't think he had an awful game. Did he have a great game? No. Jalen Hurts, did he have an awful game? No, but he also didn't have a great game. The superior quarterback and coach were on the other sideline, and they didn't have their best their best fastball yesterday. They just made enough plays. They had eight drives on offense, and they came away with uh, with 38 points in the game total. Obviously, you had the uh, defensive touchdown by Missouri Tiger, Nick Bolton. So it just goes to show, when you have these types of players, Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame coach, you're going to be unstoppable for a long, long time. Sure, you're, you're going to lose some games, but you're always going to be in the thick of it, and you're always going to be in the thick of the Super Bowl runs. That's how you make it three three out of four uh, years here for Kansas City. And that's why you look at a team like Philadelphia, man, oh, man, you, you can tell me that the future looks bright, that you got a good young head coach, you got a young quarterback on a cheap contract. Sorry, I've seen too many flameouts way too many times. I saw it with Philadelphia and Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. I saw it uh, with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. That's starting to fizzle away a little bit as far as their opportunities when they had that window of uh, uh, a young quarterback on a cheap contract. Justin Herbert, that hasn't taken off. It's happened far too many times to say that you're just going to be right back there. Think about Dan Marino. I was talking about that with my uncle when I was watching the game the other day. Marino went to a Super Bowl in his first year against the Niners. Everybody thought he'd be back. He didn't. Drew Brees. How many championships did he win? One. Only one he gone to. We got Aaron Rodgers, who's, you know, sitting in the dark right now. He's gone to one Super Bowl his entire career. You can say it as much as you want as far as the future looking bright. In the NFL, the future is now. This is not baseball, where sometimes you do have to take a peek a year or two down the line. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, legacy-defining game. And it's, it's only going to be worse if you're in the AFC. Can get back to, to Philly and just more on them. And look, they, they got a great roster. And I think the Sirianni guy's a better head coach than I originally thought he would be. And I like Jalen Hurts as a guy. But the report that Dan Graziano of ESPN put out there saying that the Eagles get that they have to pay Hurts $50 million a year, that goes against everything else that probably... Graziano and every other reporter has ever said about the Philadelphia Eagles. They are financially smart. They are savvy in the draft. They are tactical in their trades. No shot in hell are they giving $50 million to Jalen Hurts, especially, and again, he didn't play that bad. I'm not even blaming him for really anything uh, as, as far as the Eagles losing yesterday's game, I think he did exactly what he was asked to do. They were pummeling on third and fourth and short. They would just line up and plow him ahead. I thought that was a great strategy, and you got to have a willing runner, much like Tom Brady. He was great at that quarterback sneak. Hurts is the exact same way. you got to have a willing rusher in those situations. Some quarterbacks, they're not willing to do it. But that's the type of game you have to play with Hurts. you got to get creative in situations like that. He is not a drop-back passer. And if you think it's smart, just because he went to the Super Bowl and he led the leagues in touchdowns and completions and yards, you are outside your mind as far as what this guy strategically is capable of. Look, I, I understand we, we get all those stats. Those are surface-level stats that 
have no business in a front office. They don't look at those and say, man, we got a great player on our hands. They're cutting up the tape. They're diving into the different offensive schematics that uh, that Sirianni is putting on his plate. And when you add it all up, it's limited. It's not much at all. He's really only looking at half the field with a lot of these plays. Moreover, he's got A.J. Brown. He's got Devontae Smith. He's got a powerful offensive line. He's got all of these other great players that are making up the majority of the pie financially. So when that goes away, he's got this exorbitant number, whether it's $50 million, even if you say $30 million, what have you, it's going to be a lot harder for a guy like Jalen Hurts. And again, I like him as a person. I think he's a lot better as a player. I don't think he can really ascend much further, though, from what I've seen from him physically and intellectually. Maybe he does. If he does, okay. I don't see it happening. I think that's just too far of a, a step forward or a step higher. But man, oh man, aside from what I think, just look at the reports out of Philadelphia and their analytics and the way they operate. That would go against everything that they've ever done as far as giving Jalen Hurts $50 million. And then when you think about how their defensive coordinator did, and offensive coordinator with with Shane Sykton as well, do you really want to hire these guys? If you're the Arizona Cardinals or if you're the Indianapolis Colts, because that's the rumors coming out of uh, Indy and Arizona, is that both these guys want to be plucked from the Philadelphia staff. And th- that game yesterday wouldn't give me much confidence if I'm Jimmy Irsay or uh, Michael Bidwell, especially on the defensive side of things. They just sat back in zone coverage the entire time. They didn't match up man-to-man once. It was ugly. And you know what? I'm not even really going to get into the ref side of things, but you know, Bradbury, obviously a hold. Was it a call that I would have liked to not seen? Yes. But when the player comes out and says that I held, kaput. That's it. No one's allowed to uh, 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 be upset about it at all. That's it. He admitted the penalty was on him. End of story. But when you look at the defense overall from yesterday's game, man, oh man, just lack of adjustments, easy peasy for Andy Reid. And Patrick Mahomes, they came out the second half, ran the ball down their throats with lesser talent on the offensive line versus the Eagles' defensive line. That's how I thought the whole game would go from the jump. Now, it took until the third quarter. You had the extended halftime because of Rihanna. So maybe it just was a situation where they had to see the Eagles tip their hand. And they said, wow, they're just going to play cover two the whole time? Okay, we'll jam it down your throat, and then when you walk up, we'll just throw it over your goddamn heads. That's what they did with Juju, and they didn't even get MVS involved in the game. It was not a great performance from the Chiefs, other than that they were intellectually just smarter. They said, wow, we don't have to do too much. We just got to have two or three more big plays than them, and that's what they did. The big run by Mahomes, the uh, big two catches on that drive from Juju, and of course Tony and special teams. I said from the beginning, Dave Tobe, I'll lean him with two bad special teams overall between Philly and KC. And that's what it came down to. Not a great super not a, not a great football performance by the Super Bowl champs, but guess what? All you had to do was be better than the other. And man, oh man, Philadelphia, do I think you have a little something going from a roster standpoint, from a GM standpoint? Yeah. But Sirianni, this is going to be a big 
learning experience for him. Much like McVay, he got worked in a Super Bowl against Belichick. This guy's going to have to really be more dynamic on the defensive side of the ball. That's what McVay did with Wade Phillips. He fired him after a couple years. I think it might be the same deal with Sirianni. He's going to have to find a DC that can do a better job on that side of the ball. So Rodgers, as of this recording, maybe he's listening to the podcast here in his in his darkness retreat. Um, New York Jets seem to be very interested. Woody Johnson is a you know kind of sidestepping the tampering uh, line and and mentioning that they got to fill the quarterback position and they know the talent that's out there and. Yeah, if you're the Jets, of course you're going to explore this, and of course you're going to go stupid as far as just what you'll give up to get a quarterback because you have elite talent from your major draft slots. The first and second round, you've hit on a lot of good players, and you're obviously uh, in a good position to win a division next year um, with the talent that you have. Not saying it's a cinch. You got Buffalo, New New England, even Miami. They they made the playoffs, but you're in a pretty good spot record-wise in what we saw last year. So you understand why they're going to consider this and then Green Bay is just strangely okay with letting him go doesn't that kind of say something I mean do you really want to get Aaron Rodgers if he's a guy that's already talking about retiring if he's doing all this weird stuff and he's on Pat McAfee every Tuesday is that really going to gel with New York is he really going to be okay with four times the amount of media members at his locker at Florham Park, that that just sounds like a disaster from a personality and a public, you know, meeting point. That that sounds like an absolute clash uh, and it would just be a disaster. I, I don't know if New York is just so thirsty for a quarterback, but you, you got to stop and think about this from a bird's eye view here, which Joe Douglas, he's fighting for his life. So maybe he doesn't care. And he sees this as like the best opportunity. He's going to get fired anyway. So he may as well swing for the fences. Okay. But also looking more so at Lamar Jackson, you love the Ravens. You come from that scouting department. You would think that maybe you would want to look at the Ravens and see what they might want to trade. And because you know, the player and you know, the grading system. And he's also a guy that's hungry for a second contract. He's not on the back end of his career like an Aaron Rodgers. I just think the looking at uh, a signing Hackett and then immediately turning to Rodgers for that reason, you're kind of putting all your eggs into that basket right away. And you kind of got to look at the guy versus the market a little bit heavier. I really think you do because even if he is a good player, the moment that there's a bad loss, the moment that there's two losses in a row, is Aaron Rodgers going to pop off and say something that really turns the heads of the people covering the game and the fans that are going to the Meadowlands. I mean, that could happen at the snap of a finger. So I was really just doing some errands because on Saturdays and Sundays now, when we're into the playoffs, there's less football to be watched. And, you know, I naturally have less to do on the weekends outside of the, the day job here. So I'm doing my errands. I'm doing my chores. Uh, I'm walking the the hound twice a day, and I got a little more free time uh, along with hanging Ms. with Miss Taylor. But she was out with her girlfriends, and I just threw on uh, the the tablet, and I wanted to look at some NFL draft prospects. And C.J. Stroud got pushed to whatever I was searching, and I started looking at the Ohio State quarterback. And you know, early signs, I kind of like what this guy's got to offer from just a footwork 
and being able to see the field and snap off throws very quickly. He's got a very easy release, got a very natural throw. I kind of like what I'm seeing here. We'll have months now to dive into the prognosis of what his viability is at the NFL level, but I like that A, easy motion. Two, he looks at the entire field. Three, he played at Ohio State, so he's playing against great competition. It's not the SEC. You didn't see those um, those teams regularly. But from the onset here, I know this Bryce Young cat seems to be number one overall. PFF, Pro Football Focus, has him rated highly. I know Kuyper um, and some other draft pundits, they're putting him number one. Alabama quarterback, uh, played against best competition. I get it. Looks a little small to me. I've seen some reports that he's like 165 when really he's listed at 195 pounds. So that's something to keep in mind. And then I saw that picture of him and Kyler Murray um, standing side by side. And he looks to be the same height as Kyler Murray. And whatever Kyler Murray actually is, I know he was registered at six feet at the combine uh, three years ago, but then it's also been reported conspiracy theory that he was like doctoring his shoes or he, you know, he had elevators in his shoes. I don't know. But all I do know is that Kyler Murray plays small. So when I see a photo of Bryce Young at even level with him, that's a concern. It leads me back to C.J. Stroud and that, you know, Will Levis, I look at that guy, Kentucky, yes, does he do some good things? Yes. He plays slow, though. I saw him in the SEC. I saw him for Kentucky, and I know he's playing with good coaching staff there. Uh, 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 Stoops and, and Liam Cohen, former Rams guy, I get it. Okay, He's been coached by some good guys. He doesn't play, he doesn't play fast. He plays slow. And if you do that in the college level, how the hell can I expect you to play fast at the NFL level. Anthony Richardson, I don't know enough about. All I know is that he's a project, comes from a small school. It's going to be difficult, but I'd have to dive in a little bit deeper. But at the moment, C.J. Stroud, that's a guy I'm highest on as we go into draft season. So quickly transitioning to baseball, it's spring training season. I, I love it. Cannot wait to get the new rules in motion as far as infielders in the correct spots, uh, pitch clock. It's going to be fun to see. I've accepted it. Do I agree with all of them? No, but I'm excited to see it because it's just the way the world's going now. And if you don't adapt, you'll die, uh, as they say. And part of this spring training already, with it not even technically being here, is John Mazalock has been extended by the Cardinals through the 2025 season. I like John Mazalock. I think he's handcuffed. As I've said many a time, Ownership clearly gives him restrictions as far as how much money he can spend. I'm sure he would throw a lot more money at problems if he had the okay from the boss. I think that if he was not extended, if he was fired for whatever reason by the Cardinals, he would have a job the next day, just like Brian Cashman, just like Dave Dombrowski when he's been fired places, just like other general managers that we've seen, Billy Epler from the Angels to the Mets. You can be a really good baseball man and make some bad decisions, and then have owners make you pay the price for those decisions. But overall, you're still the best in the business amongst your peers. Mazalak, definitely one of them. Look at all the postseason appearances. Look at all the wins-losses, if you will, between trades. He's come out more on the win side than the loss side. Now, is he a little reticent? Is he a little uh, beholden to his farm system? Does he get attached 
uh, not emotionally, but professionally in a sense to the prospects that he acquired. Yeah, I do think he does. And I think sometimes he gives too many at-bats to a guy that's proven to you he can't get the job done in that season. There's been guys like uh, Tyler O'Neill, um, even Colton Wong. Nobody epitomizes it more to me than Colton Wong as far as handing him a contract way too soon and also playing him every day when he shouldn't be playing every day. That's stuff that I think Bazalot could be better at. But in the grand scheme of things, I do think he's working around an owner that says, you're not spending all my money. So if you're St. Louis, you got another guy in your organization locked up again for the next three years, it's going to lead to winning consistent baseball like we've seen forever. And really, that's all you can ask for. Really all you can ask for. Yeah, we, we want more as a baseball-hungry town, but you got to have the right guy steering the ship. And there's too many bad general managers out there to really throw Mazaloc aside and then go fish in that weak pond. So glad to see St. Louis get it done, and it's going to lead to more winning baseball for the Cardinals. Appreciate everybody listening. Happy NFL season 2022. Another one in the books. It's been our fourth NFL season now where we've talked ball, and I appreciate all of you. We're going to continue it. We're going to continue with baseball, and who knows, maybe more sports will get on the radar. This show is for you guys. If you want the NFL, let me know. If you want less NFL, let me know. We'll be talking XFL here soon. The second, or no, now the third rendition, second on this podcast, can't wait for it. Um, it, it's really hard to believe that it's three years ago this time when we were watching the Battle Hawks uh, duke it out down at the Dome. Football back at the Dome. I watched from afar in Chicago. It, it looked like a blast. Now I'm back in St. Louis. Can't wait to go to a game and we'll be breaking down the Battle Hawks because they're definitely a part of this community and St. Louis is a big part of this podcast community that we have here. Let me know what else you want to hear as far as sports the show is for you guys from the bottom of my heart thanks for choosing the podcast